Man, we're starting a new series, and it is called Apprentices of Jesus. The Apprentices of Jesus. And it's all about spiritual formation. It's all about becoming a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus. And the title of the message today uh, is called Who's Your Rabbi? Somebody say rabbi. Not a word that you would use quite often. It's not our language, so that would make sense. It's not a, a thing that's normal in our culture, but it was a very, very common word and a term that was used in the Bible quite often. And there is a, uh, when you used to play basketball, I don't know if you played basketball in the, in the 80s or the 90s especially, even the early thousands, there was a phrase that people would say all the time. And uh, we don't really say it anymore. It's just not a phrase that's, that's common anymore, just like using the word rabbi. But uh, if you just made an awesome play in basketball. Maybe, you, you know, you're Jimmy Buckets, all right? You know what I'm talking about from the Miami Heat, okay? And you just like absolutely toast somebody on a shot. Uh, one thing that they used to say all the time, they say, who your daddy? Come on now, who's your daddy? And it would be like the worst thing that you could possibly hear. It's like, listen, I'm not, you're not my dad, all right? Like, stop, man, you know? Like, God, man, you're getting cooked out here, you know? And so you would J it up on somebody and somebody would be like, who your daddy? And it's like, oh, that's an awful thing to hear. You never wanted to hear that in basketball. Uh, and so the, the title of the message, as I was uh, coming up with this title, that's all I could think of was who's your daddy. But we're, no, not today. It's who your rabbi. So somebody say, who your rabbi? No, not who's. I said, who your rabbi? Come on now. You got to say it like that. Give it a little oomph, you know. Uh, so who is your rabbi? And I have some scripture today that I want to read to you. It's John 3, 2. It's Nicodemus coming up to Jesus. And this is what it says. It says, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus calls him rabbi. What does this word mean? It simply means teacher, means master. Not master in a slave master kind of scenario, but master in a sense that you are a master of the craft uh, of your profession. You're one of the top tier, top one percenters of people that can teach in whatever it is that you're teaching. So he was calling him a master. What is Jesus a master of? He's a master of God's word, a master of understanding who the Father is. Why we know this is because he is the Son of God and he had direct access, right? Uh, fully submitted to the Holy Spirit. He knows so much and people were amazed at the teachings that Jesus would bring. And in those times, rabbis had disciples or students and they would follow them and learn from them. And we think the 12 disciples, right? You hear Jesus, he calls the disciples he has his 12 disciples and, you know, you kind of think, okay, well, those are the OG disciples, right? The 12 disciples. No, no, no. There were many disciples and many other rabbis that had come before Jesus, many other disciples, and there were many after as well. So there's lots of other rabbis that also have their own disciples, their own students. And at first glance, uh, if you're looking at what being a, 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 an apprentice right, is, or you're looking at being a pupil or a student of a rabbi, it sounds like one of those kind of unpaid internship situations, right? We're like, no, thank you. I don't want to deal with that. Uh -uh. Um, but it's not like that. It's not one of those things where you're just going and, and, and getting coffee for the rabbi, <laughs> you know, like Jesus is ordering Starbucks and you're like, okay, here's the card, go get it. That's not the kind of uh, apprenticeship that we're talking about here. These disciples, these apprentices of Jesus were being personally mentored by him. In fact, many disciples would actually live in the same house as their rabbi. They would live with them and they would eat with them. 
They would drink with them. They would hang out with them. They would study under them. They would go hang out together. It was a very, very personal relationship. It was more similar to a mentor and apprentice kind of program relationship where it's like a one-on-one or a very small group of people that are learning intimately with the master, with the rabbi. And it actually had a lot of hands-on guidance, a lot of hands-on practice for them as well. And so, for example, if you wanted to become a carpenter, let's say, what would be the best way to do that? Could you go to school and learn carpentry? Well, sure, you probably could. But what's the best way to learn how to become a tradesman or whatever trade that you might be in? Well, you would find somebody that knows how to do it really well, is a master of their craft, a master of their trade, and stick around them for a long time, right? Hang out with them. Say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll work for free or I'll just come hang out with you. I just want to learn, okay? And so you get around this person and over time, you're going to learn much quicker by being around a master of the craft and getting that personal mentorship from a rabbi, from a teacher, a professor, whatever that might be. Uh, but there's nothing like getting your hands dirty and just getting into it, right? Like just get into it. I remember I went to Bible college and I was 19 uh, in my second year of Bible college And I remember I had a choice. I was going to get hired at a church uh, in San Antonio. And uh, it was a great opportunity for me. And I'd been at Bible college and I'm like, man, I am so ready for this. And so I actually left Bible college and finished online so that I could start ministry as fast as possible because I knew it's what God had called me into. I didn't want to sit around and play video games any longer in my dorm room with a bunch of dudes, all right? I wanted to go out and get my hands dirty in ministry and learn quickly, and I sure did. I'm telling you, I learned more in the first two weeks of being at that church and learning in ministry than I did in two years of being at college. Why is that? Because when you get in this kind of relationship and you actually start doing the thing that you're trying to learn how to do, you learn it significantly faster. And this is how Jewish men would learn scripture. This is how they would learn to actually become rabbis themselves. This is how they learn how to teach their families and the people that they led in their areas about God as well. And so a question that they would ask quite often is, who's your rabbi? Or who are you a disciple of? That's really the main question they would ask. Who are you a disciple of? Who are you learning from? It's a very common question. Now, it's not really something that we would ask maybe today, uh, but maybe you would ask, hey, where are you going to college, right? That's what we would ask today. Or, or, or who are you learning? Where do you work? That's kind of a, that's what they would ask. Who's your rabbi? Who are you a disciple of? And there was many different uh, rabbis, and we even see John the Baptist We know he was the one that was foretelling of Christ's coming, and and he's the one that actually baptized Jesus. But John had his own disciples too. And there was one point when John's disciples and then Jesus' disciples not necessarily had a little disagreement, but they were asking some questions, all right? And so Matthew 9, 14, it says, the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Why are we fasting the Pharisees are fasting, but Jesus, uh, your disciples are not. Kind of got a little question because we're hungry, okay, and you guys be eating some bread over here, acting like ain't nothing going on, all right? And we're, we're trying to fast because we're being real spiritual over here as John's disciples. This is the way that he has trained us, and yet you're doing things kind of differently. I don't know. Maybe they didn't ask it, but if I was fasting, I might be a little hangry. So I think there's a little hangriness in that question if you read it like that. So, um, 
But actually, after John uh, was martyred, he was killed for his faith. And then Andrew was one of John's disciples. And he actually transferred kind of his disciple, you know, whatever they would call that, over to Jesus. He became one of Jesus's disciples, almost as if you transferred college, I suppose. You're like, hey, I was going to this college, and then I transferred over here uh, because I had a better program or whatever it is like that. It's the same exact thing, but just for rabbis and discipleship pathways. So Andrew was one of these. When Jesus calls Andrew, we see this in Mark 1, 16, it says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon, who became Peter, and then Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. What do we see here? We see Jesus is calling disciples to himself. He's actually seeking after disciples. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is seeking after you. Did you know that? That God, it says, is a jealous God. God wants to be in a relationship with you and wants to be in a relationship with me. And he is looking for people that will do his will and spread the good news about Jesus and the kingdom of God all throughout this world. And if you would be one of those people that would say yes and leave your nets and follow him, what does Jesus say? He says, I will make you become fishers of men. What, what do we learn here from this in the mentor and apprentice relationship? What are we learning? The first thing I think we have to look at, it says, I will make you become. It's not you that makes you into anything. Can I just let you off the hook right now? You don't make yourself into anything. God gives you everything that you have, amen? Everything that we have comes from above. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And it is Jesus that can change your life, that will make you into the person that God wants you to be. He can give your life meaning and purpose in a way that you can never find on your own. But it's not you that does it. So many times we try to make our lives into what we think that it should be. And, and what ends up happening is we only get so far. Because we don't have the supernatural power of God on our side backing us up. What does Jesus remind us here? He says, I will make you. What does that sound like? I always love to read the Bible in a way that, that makes sense to me. That sounds a little confident, right? Jesus is pretty confident. He says, hey, if you will follow me, just hang around me for long enough. I will make you into somebody amazing. I will turn you into somebody else. I will change the way that you think, change the way that you act, and I will help you and your life have meaning and purpose. Does that sound a little confident? Jesus got a little swag about himself. He's just walking up to these fishermen and be like, hey, why don't you just drop everything that you're doing because, no, we're not doing that anymore. You come and hang out with me and I will make you into somebody else. I think that is so good for me to hear that I don't have to be the perfect person on my own. I can't. There's no way I could do it. But with God on my side, if I will simply get around Jesus long enough, if I will simply follow after him, if I will study God's word, if I will go to God in prayer long enough and enough times and get in proximity to Jesus, my life will change. Amen? And that's a good news for you and for me is that if you will get around Jesus, your life can change. You've been trying to do it on your own for too long. Stop trying to do that. It ain't going to happen. I hate to break it to you. Jesus is the one that helps us to change our lives. So Jesus is very confident in his ability to train you and me. He's very confident. But I think the problem lies in our confidence in him. Do we have confidence in his ability to train us and to mold us and to shape us into the people that we need to be. 
We don't like to let go of control of that, right? We like to hold on to everything. But listen, if you'll drop your nets, drop what you know, and follow Jesus, man, he could turn you somebody into amazing. Somebody say amen in this house today. Come on. And here's the other thing that I think I love, and I love to hear these things because it gives me some hope for myself, all right? The second thing that we learn is that Jesus kind of implies that it's going to take some time. It's going to take time. Let me encourage you with this this morning. Maybe you've given your life to God recently or, or maybe you've been in this walk with God for a long time. And you feel like you should just be at a certain point by now. Right? Maybe you've been a Christian for 5 or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years and you feel like, man, I should be farther along at this point. I should be doing more or I should have done this or that or the other. I'm still struggling with this area of my life and I feel like I should have already conquered this thing by now. Let me encourage you with this today. Whether you're a new Christian or you've been in it your whole life, you are on a journey, guys, and it takes time. There's this process called sanctification. It's, what does that mean? It means that we're becoming like Christ. That's all it means. And it is a process. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. This process that we are in in life is a process of becoming. We're becoming somebody constantly. Even up until the day that we die, we are becoming somebody new. We're becoming somebody different because of our experiences and the things that we do and the actions and thoughts that we have. And Jesus wants to help you become more like him every single day of your life. We say this, it's a, a phrase that you might have heard that Rome wasn't built in the day, right? And yet we get so down on ourselves that we're not at a certain point already. Or maybe you give your life to God and you're still struggling with the same sin that you dealt with before. Listen, there is grace for that. It's a beautiful thing that God gives us. He gives us his grace. And what does that mean? It simply means that you're still going to mess up every once in a while. But yet you have this personal relationship with Jesus now. And you know that God loves you so much. You don't have to know everything tomorrow. You don't have to be perfect today. All you have to do is follow Jesus. Amen. And he will do it within you. Come on. God is teaching you. We're on a journey, y'all. And we get so down on ourselves. We shame ourselves because we're not at a certain point. Listen, just follow Jesus and he'll keep doing it in you, learning and growing as we go. That is the name of the game. So when you get down on yourself, remember that, that it is a process and I will, Jesus will make you into who you need to be. In fact, uh, this is another thing that makes me feel real good about where I'm at in life and I hope it does for you too. The people that actually knew everything were who? The Pharisees. The people that actually knew all the scriptures, they could recite to you every single scripture from memory. And they felt pretty good about being able to do that, right? They were real uh, hoity-toity about it, you know, they're real high and, and mighty on their high horse about all the great things that they had done, all of the moral standards and how amazing they were. And by the book, they really were. They were doing everything the exact way that Jesus uh, technically, in Jewish culture, they, they followed all the laws, followed all the rules. They knew all the right things to say. They did all the right things, quote, unquote. And yet, those were the people that Jesus condemned the most often. The people that, that were supposed to be the uh, scholars and the leaders and the teachers are the people that Jesus scolds the most often. And in fact, they didn't even have a relationship with Jesus. And so who does Jesus encourage the most? He's encouraging these 12 crazy buffoons called the disciples that were these young adults that knew absolutely nothing, right? 
He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They're like, I don't even know what that means, but all right, like you seem pretty cool. So they start following Jesus. They can tell that something's different about him. They don't know everything. They weren't the most trained or the most skilled or the most knowledgeable about the word of God up to that point. But what did they have? They had proximity to Jesus. They were close to Jesus. And can I encourage you today? Maybe you're on the other side of it and you think, well, listen, I know all the Bible verses and I do all the right things. And maybe you're on the other side thinking that you have it all together. Listen, have you sat with Jesus recently though? Because you might know all the Bible verses, but you might not know God. I don't want to know Bible verses. I want to know the maker of the Bible verses. I want to know God for his word, not just so that I can know the word, but so that I can apply it in my life and actually know who God is. Amen? That's what I want to do with my life. I do not want to just be this person that sits in an office. You know, a lot of people, like the scholars, they like to sit in their offices with their ties on and their big bookshelves, all their theology books behind them. And it's like, listen, at the end of the day, are you doing something for God? Like, what are you doing for the Lord? Like, do you really, really know him? There's nothing wrong with knowing Bible verses. Man, I encourage you, learn the word of God, amen? Uh, the Bible says that we're supposed to write it onto our hearts. When you write it on your heart, you write it in your mind, when you memorize scripture, man, the Holy Spirit will bring those scriptures back at the right time when you need them. So I'm not saying don't learn about God or don't be studied, but listen, don't study the word of God and then sacrifice your relationship with God. That's what's so important here because the disciples were being, were actually studying directly with Jesus and they had that direct connection and that proximity to Jesus is what helped them so much. So Jesus condemns the Pharisees, but yet these crazy dudes called the disciples that didn't know anything, Jesus was having to correct them all the time and yet he was not upset at them. He was helping them to learn and helping them to grow. So who is your rabbi? Who's your rabbi? You have to understand that everybody is being discipled by somebody. Everyone, whether you think that you are being discipled or not, you are being discipled. When you're a child, who are you a disciple of? Your parents. When you're going to school, who are you a disciple of? Your teachers. At work, you are a disciple of your boss in life. You're a disciple of the people that are around you. You might be a disciple of culture. You might be a disciple of the music that you listen to. How many of you know that the things that you allow in your brain and through your ears and through your eyes will eventually come back out, amen? Uh, you know, if I'm gonna be a disciple, I wanna be a disciple of Jesus, right? I wanna be taught by Jesus. I don't wanna be taught by culture. I don't wanna be taught by Hollywood. I don't wanna be taught by what's on the news. I wanna be taught by the word of God, what God says first, and I want to be taught by getting in a community of believers that can lift me up as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's how I want to be taught, and that is the rabbi that I want. I don't want the world. I want Jesus. Come on, if you want Jesus, say amen today. If you were to try to be a carpenter, we use that. Jesus was a carpenter, right? So that's why we're using that today. If you were to be a carpenter, you wanted to. How would you go about that? You would go to a carpenter that knew what they were doing. Because listen, if you put a piece of wood in my hands, my wife's standing back there. If you put a piece of wood in my hands, I don't know what to do with it. I could not build you anything, right? And it's so sad. It really is. Because my dad is extremely handy. Her dad, extremely handy. Could build anything, could fix anything. And then you have this city boy pastor here that I'm just standing over in the corner like, I mean, Jesus, I know a little bit about the Bible. Does that help? 
does that help? That doesn't help? Okay, I'll just go sit in my corner and read some more, okay? Like, they're fixing everything and doing all this stuff. It's like, oh, we got a leak. But, man, Trevor can recite some Bible verses and, you know, speak some <laughs> life into that thing. I don't know. So, uh, you know, wood in my hands, it doesn't really do that much. It doesn't. But you give wood to a carpenter and they can actually visualize something incredible. They can visualize these cabinets. They can, they can visualize this desk and they can visualize maybe even a home being constructed. Why? Because they know what to do with it. Maybe a fishing rod. You give me a fishing rod. I love to go fishing, but I am bad at catching fish. Come on, somebody. Like people that fish, you know what I'm talking about. I love to fish, but I'm not going to catch anything, okay? Because I don't know what I'm doing. It's just fun to get out and hang out with the bros. You know, that's what we do. Uh, I would hang out with my dad and go fishing when I was a kid, catching a little perch. I think I'm just like an absolute rock star, okay? But you give a fishing rod or a net to people that actually know what they're doing to a real fisherman, and what can he do? He can actually catch fish for his family and feed them, but not only that, for thousands of people, and now can make it into an actual living and make it into a full-time job. Why? Because they know what they are doing. So listen, put your life in the hands of the one that knows what he is doing, y'all. Put your life in the hands of Jesus. Why? Because he said, I will make you into somebody that you cannot make yourself into. Come on. I need Jesus in my life. I'm going to put my hands in the one that is able to do exceedingly more than I can ask, think, or imagine in my life. And if you are grateful for a God who is able to do more in your life than you could ever do on your own, come on, would you give him praise for a second in the house of God? Because we need that. If Jesus can take some fishermen and tax collectors and do amazing things in their life, what do you think he can do in your life? He's a tax collector. Matthew, for example, was a tax collector. Nobody liked tax collectors. Nobody liked these dudes. They were like traitors to the Jewish people. They were working with the Roman government. And they didn't like them at all. And he calls Matthew to follow him. And this is great news, in my opinion, for anybody that works for the IRS. Because even though none of us like you either, apparently God can do something with you. So that's great, right? Come on. There we go. IRS people out there. God can do something with you too. So praise God for that. Listen, I don't care what job you have. I don't care what your profession is. I don't care what you know or what you don't know. Let me tell you this one amazing fact is that God can do something with your life if you will surrender it to him. Because he is the one that knows what he's doing. You don't have to. Release yourself from the obligation. Release yourself from the pressure. And just know, give it to Jesus, and he will help you. Your job can now be your mission field, right? Maybe you work at the IRS. Man, make that job your mission field. Go get some people saved at the IRS because God knows they need them, okay? Right? Maybe, I don't know who you are. I don't know what your job is, but make it your mission field. Stay at home mom. Stay at home dads. Man, who is your mission field? What is your mission field? Your home, your kids. Who are your disciples? Your children, parents, listen to me. Your children are your disciples and you are their rabbi. You are their teacher. Be careful what they are learning. Be careful what you are teaching them. Be careful what you model for them. Because how many of you know, you start saying some bad words and then of course your kid turns three and four years old and they can really start to understand what's going on. They're gonna start saying those things too. And you're like, oh no, where did they learn that? And your wife looks at you like, mm, you know exactly where she learned that from. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh yeah, that was definitely me. Why? Because they're listening. You think when your kids are older, they ain't listening to you anymore? Of course they are. Of course, they respect you in that way. I hope and you have a relationship with them where you can still pour into them in that way. Pour into your children. 
I think a lot of us, we think that Jesus, the way that he talks to his disciples, is completely different than how we view God talking to us. I don't understand why we do this. When your kid messes up and they do something wrong, how do you respond to that? You say, hey, listen, hopefully you have patience with them, right? And we'll talk about that in another series, right? But hopefully you have patience. I know it's hard sometimes. They'd be crazy, all right? But you say, hey, no, 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 that's not how we do this. You're teaching them. You're training them. No, no, you don't do this. You do this. You don't do this. You do this. This is how we operate in this family. This is what we do. And you have grace with them. And yet you think that God is angry at you and mad at you when you mess up. Think about it. You really think that the God of the universe is going to look down on you in anger and contempt and condemnation and say, you know, you messed up again. Look at you. Doing the same thing that you've been doing over and over and over again, you know. And some parents, y'all know, that it's, that's how maybe your mom or your dad acted when you were a kid. And you know how messed up that was, right? It messes you up on the inside. Listen, that's not how God acts. The Bible says that he is a good father. He's a good father. And he loves his kids. And you're one of his kids. When you mess up, when you fail, God's not angry. He's not mad. Of course, he doesn't like sin. He hates sin, the Bible says. But at the end of the day, God wants you to be a part of the family. And he's looking at you and he's saying, hey, listen, yeah, you messed up, but let's get back up. We're not doing it this way. This is how we're doing it. If you would just come to me and hang out with me, I'll train you. I'll teach you. Follow me. And I will make you into somebody that you could never be on your own. As we close here in a little bit, I want to talk about one more specific thing that I think is very, very important for us to talk about. Pastor Tim comes on back up. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. It says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. And I think not only do we follow Christ, we also have to follow spiritual leaders too. Amen? There's spiritual authority that God places in our lives that we need to submit to and we need to follow. This can be really tough for people nowadays. Our culture, if I could just be honest, has a really hard time with this. Already, some of you are like, ugh, spiritual authority, submission? No. Like, you know, it's like there's just this reaction that we have within us. Some of you are totally cool with it. But our culture is in a completely different place. People don't trust pastors like they used to, y'all. They don't. Think about it. 30, 40, especially 50 and 60 years ago, everybody looked up to pastors. Pastors were well-respected members of the community. They were looked up to and people would come to them for advice on spiritual things, but also just in regular life kind of things. And um, they would actually listen to their advice too. That's another thing. So many times I feel like I tell someone, hey, this is what I feel like the Lord's saying. And people are just like, uh, I don't know about that. You know, my mom actually, she told me one time, <laughs> she said, I got pulled over for speeding. And she said, did you show them your pastor's license? <laughs> I said, no, why would I do that? And she was like, well, maybe he could get you out of a ticket. And I was like, first off, that is a gross abuse of power <laughs> and spiritual authority. Secondly, I think it actually, I'd get a ticket because I showed my license nowadays, right? I was like, hey, I'm a pastor. And the guy would be like, okay, and? Like, here's your ticket, sir, you know? Like, maybe 50 years ago, like, you could pull that off and it might work. But nowadays, I'd be more scared to show it to somebody because of the way our culture is. They probably actually would hate me more. It's just the way our world is now. 
People just simply don't trust spiritual authority. It's just, it's, it's the case. It's true. Uh, there was some research done by Gallup and LifeWay. Research put this graph out here and it says public trust of clergy remains near an all-time low. All-time low. In 1985, it was at 67%. The public trust of clergy, all right? And then it just goes down and down and down until now today, it is at 37% in 2020. And you can imagine after that, after COVID and after everything that our culture has been through in the last few years, I would imagine it's even lower. That is a massive, massive shift from 67% all the way down to 30. People simply don't trust pastors anymore. The highest rated professions, nurses. Come on, nurses out there, if you're a nurse, 89%, people just trust you. You got that smile on your face, you're helping people out, you're just loving on people, they trust you, okay? So good for you. Doctors, grade school teachers, pharmacists, police officers, all above, oh, judges too, all above, pastors. Here's the deal. I think that pastors and church leaders, we should be the top respected and trusted people in our nation and in our world. And yet it is just simply not the case. All the way at the bottom, we have car salesmen at 8% and members of Congress. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Somebody said amen, right? (laughs) Woo, man, I think we could all agree on that one. Okay, if you're a car salesman, maybe God can use you too. I don't know, (laughs) like IRS, car salesman, anyway. But I I would hope that we would be well-respected. But here's the deal. I understand why we're not. Because if I was to say, follow my example and do what I do because of maybe your past experience or whatever and just the way our culture is now, everybody has their own truth. Everybody believes their own thing. Everybody has their own way of thinking on stuff. Why? Because Google. Like, Google is fantastic, but it's also terrible. You know how many doctors complain about people coming in and they're looking up, they're like, I think I have this, I think I have this. I Googled the symptoms and this must be it. And the doctors are like, yeah, okay, sure. Person that's never been to medical school and knows absolutely nothing about this. Yeah, you're definitely right, okay? No, and yet people do that with spiritual matters all the time to pastors and church leaders. They do it all the time. Well, I Googled this, pastor, and I had this one personal experience that one time, and then so-and-so on Instagram and TikTok said this, and this is what it is. I'm not, and then you use no critical thinking. I'm just gonna go with my gut on this one. I don't really think I need you. I got this, and I'm like, cool. <laughs> go for it. Sure, if that's what you wanna do, that's the way our culture is nowadays, honestly, and you know that that's true. Everyone has their own individual truth. But I think there's another reason why pastors are not trusted and and as rabbis in a sense and teachers of the Bible, spiritual authority and teachers are not trusted. And, And here's the other reason. You've been hurt or abused by a church before. There's many people that have. Many people that have been to churches and had leaders that they have trusted with their lives. And they've invested so much into that local body of believers. They've invested so much into those pastors. And yet it it seems like it was all a wash when he cheated on their spouse and got taken out. And you thought that this was a man of God or a woman of God. And you find out that maybe they were a wolf in sheep's clothing or 
maybe ultimately they're just human and really messed up and had fallen away from God's plan for their life. It's tough. It seems like every few months I'm hearing of another pastor or church leader that's had some kind of moral failure. Um, or every year or two, there's a new documentary that comes out about a church or a pastor about things that have been going on, some, you know, some shady stuff. It's sad. And I wish I had an answer. I wish I did. But it hurts me too, you know, because I have people I look up to, right? And it's hard to trust leaders and spiritual leaders when the news, of course, loves to promote when pastors mess up, right? So we see it a lot more than the faithful and good, amazing pastors that are just being faithful in their local communities. Of course, we're going to see a lot more of the stories that people can follow. But there's a lot of them. Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and all that doesn't really help the case either. We see it so much more often now. And there was a pastor actually that I really look up, looked up to and we had a very similar style, right? Of preaching, we're very conversational. I thought he was a funny dude. And, you know, we just like to talk and make jokes and relate, you know, the Bible to everyday people and help you understand it better. And he kind of had the same vibe as me. And I was like, oh, this is a cool guy. I love listening to his messages. They really impacted me in my life in a big way. And, and then a couple years ago, cheats on his wife, divorces her, and then marries the woman he cheated on his wife with and left his family, got taken out of the church. Church is doing well, but his personal life and his family is not. And it's tough. That was hard. I cried hours and hours, the whole few days. I was just crying because I was so tired of just hearing these stories. So tired of it. Looking up to people and then having them let me down. And I can only, and a big reason why I'm crying and why I'm so upset about it too is not even just for me, but how many of the people that were at the church and maybe got saved at that church and had their life changed by messages that this guy preached. And now maybe they weren't at the same level of, of faith and maturity that me or some other people are at. And now they're questioning their faith in God because of this man's choices. How sad is that? And so I wish I had an answer for you. I, it hurts me too. I hate hearing about it. But one thing I can tell you is the song that we just sang earlier, we say, I trust in who? I trust in God. He will never fail us. The Bible says he will never forsake us. He will never leave you. And he is always faithful. And who is our teacher? Ultimately, more than any other spiritual authority that we have in our lives, it is Jesus. Amen? Jesus teaches us through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead you into truth, into righteousness. The Holy Spirit will guide your steps if you will give your life to Jesus. And when man fails you, 
when your wife fails you, when your husband fails you, when your kids fail you, maybe when you fail at your job and in your marriage and in, the, in your life, maybe you fail in sin, you go back into that same thing. Listen, can I encourage you today that there is a God who never fails. There is a man and he's fully God, fully man who came to this earth to die for you. His name is Jesus. Come on, somebody. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine and defeated death, hell, and the grave. And now we can have life abundantly because of what he has done on the cross. And he's alive today and he loves you so much and he cares for you and he cares for me. We know this. And Jesus will never fail you. And I just want to encourage you today, if you've been hurt by the church, if you've been hurt by a pastor or by a leader, by a spiritual authority, a figure in your life, and don't let somebody else's failure become your failure. Don't let somebody else's lack of faith determine your faith. Because my faith is not built on a man. My faith is built on Jesus, amen? My faith is built on what God has done in my life. And yes, men will fail. Women will fail. We're human. But what I want to encourage you with today is I want every single person that's in here to be able to regain maybe some trust in the church, regain some trust in pastors and leaders. Maybe you've been in that place. You're like, I don't really, you might be sitting here right now and be like, I don't even trust this dude. <laughs> you know, I'm speaking right now and you might not be listening to anything I'm saying because you're not, you're not sure. I get it. That's all I'm trying to say. But what I can do anyway is promise you this, is that I will always do my best to follow Christ's example. And I'd hope that you'll find me somebody that you could do what Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I will always do my best to follow Christ, to be humble, to be patient, to be faithful to God's word, to be faithful to my family and be faithful to you in this church. Maybe words don't really mean much to you. You need action. Well, listen, stick around and find out. And there's some people in this place here today that I guarantee find somebody here, find somebody in this church, find somebody that you know, maybe that, that knows more about the Bible than you, maybe that has gone a little bit farther in you in their life, a spiritual authority that you can uh, be discipled by, that you can be mentored by. Everybody needs to be mentored and discipled by somebody. And if you're not being discipled by somebody intentionally, you are unintentionally going to be discipled by everything else that's around you in your life. And listen, we need to disciple our children and rad kids. We need to disciple our youth that are going off to youth camp. And you also need to be discipled. I don't care how old you are, how much you think that you know. Get around somebody because the Bible says iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. And listen, I need that. You need that. We all need that in the body of Christ. But ultimately, Jesus is our primary teacher. You can trust in God. He will never fail you. He will never leave you. So I want us to stand in this place today. I just want to sing the last, the, the chorus of that song a couple of times as we close today. Come on, let's sing, I trust in God. Thank you, Jesus. I trust in God, my Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. I trust in God.
We trust you, God. We worship you, Jesus. Teach us and guide us, Lord. He will never fail. Come on, one more time. Let's lift it up. We trust you, God. I trust in God. My Savior, the one. when everyone else fails in our life you will not I thank you so much Jesus that you came down to this earth and you discipled these men these young men your disciples that messed up constantly but you corrected them in love and with grace and with mercy God Maybe there's somebody here today, Lord, that is just feeling uh, so down on themselves for the things that they've done in their lives. So they're looking at their past or, or maybe right now in the present, they know that they're not living for you. God, I pray that you would show them your love and, and that, Lord, you're a good father. And that you care for your children. And if we would give our lives to you, that you could do something amazing with us. That if we would simply follow you, that you will make us into somebody that we can never make ourselves. So Lord, I pray right now for that person in here that says, God, I wanna give my life to you. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I wanna give my life to you. Lord, I pray that you would help them to see how much you love them and care for them right now. Hey, if that's you, I just wanna ask with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, and you say, man, I have been living for God. I need to get... I need to get right with God today. I want to give my life to him, maybe for the first time. Maybe uh, you've given your life to him in the past, but you need to do it again. You know that that's you in this place today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, on the count of three, would you just raise your hand? One, two, three, and just look up at me. I see you right here. I see you right here, my man. I see you right here. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Come on. I see you. You need to get right with God here today. Let me see your hand before you put it down. Come on. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, you can put your hands down. I see you out there. Four or five people saying yes to Jesus today. Can we give God praise for a second for that? Come on, God is good. Follow Jesus. Give your life to him. Just get in proximity with him and watch your life change. I don't know what it is about just getting close to God. It's spiritual. It's, it's, it's miraculous, really, at the end of the day. When you get in the word of God and you start praying more often, I don't understand why, but things just start turning around. And it's God. I can't explain it. And you know it if you've been there before. You know what I'm talking about. You start praying. You start reading your word. And, and man, it's like your marriage just gets better out of nowhere. It's like, are we doing anything different? I don't know. But it's God that's doing it, not you. Those sins that you struggled with start to fall off. And you're like, I didn't change anything. Yes, you did. 
You got in the presence of the one who can actually help. And so, man, I want to pray for each and every one of you today. And for those that are giving your life to Jesus today, I just want to pray a blessing over all of you that as we go out the rest of this week, that we would be reminded that God is a God that never fails and we can trust him. So Father, I thank you for every person that's given their life to you today. Help them to stay close to you and for all of us to stay close and to follow close. Because when we stick close to you, we, we know who you are. We can feel your heart. We can say the things that you say and, and think the way that you think. We could see people in the way that you see them, not the way that we see them. You, you look at situations completely differently than we look at them. It might look like there's a huge giant in front of us and we don't know how, how to get past it, but God, it looks like nothing to you. Help us to have that mindset that only comes from being close to you. Keep us close, Father. For those people giving their lives to you today, Father, I just thank you. We praise you, God five or six people that are saying yes to you today, that are starting this journey or, or continuing this journey with you, Lord, I pray provision and blessing over every family that's represented, for every child and rad kids over there, for every student that's in high school or middle school or college right now, Lord, would you help them to stand firm in their faith, Lord Jesus, to stay close to you because, Lord, we know that when we train a child the way they should go, when they're old, they will not depart from it. And so, God, help us as parents even to train our children up as our little disciples and help us to be discipled by somebody in our life too. Just bring a supernatural spiritual connection with somebody that can help us to learn and grow. God, we thank you and we praise you for everything you're doing. In Jesus' name, all God's people say, amen. Can we give God praise today? And I'm so honored that you chose to worship with us today. Please get connected. We would love to hang out with you and get to know you a little bit better. Stick around, grab some coffee. Our youth are selling iced coffees. So make sure you pick up an iced coffee to support them for camp too. God bless you. We'll see you next week.